I went to the eye doctor this past week. I have very poor vision. I have to either wear contacts or glasses. And on top of that, in the past couple of years, I've developed a stigmatism, which means my eyes are not symmetrical. And this means that um, different sections of my eye have different strengths. And to wear contacts to reflect this is not easy. Um, and they've developed this new technology. It's incredible to me where there's these ridges in the contact lens, I put them in my eye, my eyelid passes over the ridge, which makes the contact align just perfectly so that this particular section of my eye sees out of this particular section of the contact and I'm able to see pretty clearly. It's incredible technology. I'm extremely grateful for it. I'm guessing I'm not the only person in the room. I read this past week where half of Americans have to wear corrective eyewear. And I've also read this past week, this is a $131 billion industry each year in our country. So um, we, being able to see is very important. We're willing to spend money on being able to see. And in the passage that we're looking at today, there is actually a blind man. And I couldn't help, as I was studying the passage this past week, think about the fact, if this were me, and I lived in the ancient world prior to the development of eyewear, this could be me. I mean, I could be the blind man begging on the side of the road. And so I, uh, I'm a little sympathetic to this man. And we're going to talk about what we can learn from him this morning. So if you would please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. I am going to begin reading in verse 46. And this is the very inspired word of God. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'll open our eyes this morning to understand your word, this text that is before us. But I pray, Father, you'll open our eyes so that we don't merely understand the meaning of this text, but so that we would receive it as your word for us this morning. And we would receive it to such an extent that we would stand under it and be willing to be changed by it. For your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I think there are several things we can learn from the blind man in this passage. And the first one is this. He has a right understanding of who Jesus is. Verse 46 tells us they are in Jericho. This is the last town they would pass through on their way to Jerusalem. As they pass through, it tells us there's a blind man standing by the road, sitting by the road, begging. It tells us his name is Bartimaeus. That's interesting that it gives us his name. Bar means son of, so he's the son of Timaeus. Uh, this is the only person in Mark's gospel where he gives us the name of the person who is healed. 
And Mark is the only one of the four gospel writers who tells us what his name is, that his name is Bartimaeus. And so it raises the question, why? And I think the answer is probably this indicates that the church that Mark is writing to probably knew this man. They, they had some relationship with him, and he's calling him by name. They say, they, I would think they would say, we know him. We know Bartimaeus, formerly a blind man. Well, when this man hears that Jesus is passing by, he cries out. Why does he cry out? Because he has a right understanding of who Jesus is. And this is a great irony. He's blind, but he has a right view, a right perspective of who Jesus is. I want to point out several important, important truths that we learn from this passage about who Jesus is. First of all, we learn he is Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 47 says, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. We're reminded here, Jesus is a man. He's from this little town outside of Galilee called Nazareth. He, he, uh, he has a mother and a father, Mary and Joseph. He has brothers and sisters. And here he is passing through this town, Jericho. You can visit the town to this day and see the town. He's passing from Jericho. He's going to Jerusalem. It would have been about 3,500 feet elevation climb. Uh, by the way, that's about half of the climb from Manitou Springs to the top of Pikes Peak. But nevertheless, a serious climb, a significant incline. And Jesus would have gotten out of breath. Like picture him panting, picture him breathing heavy, picture him sweating. Picture him having to stop and say, let's take a break here. Let's get some water. He's a man. He's like us in every way, yet without sin. He's God, and he can heal, and he will heal, and we'll talk about that here in a second, but we shouldn't brush past this too quickly. Jesus of Nazareth, a man like us in every way, yet without sin. Notice, secondly, we learn he's the son of David. Verses 47 and 48 the blind man calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Why is that significant to calling the Son of David? Because the blind man sees a relationship between this man, Jesus, and the Old Testament. This is a messianic reference here. He's referring to Jesus, Messiah. For example, 2 Samuel 7 talks about how David is going to have a son, and David's son is going to rule on his throne forever. Jesus is that son of David who will reign on his throne forever. And next week in Mark 11, we're going to see Jesus, the Davidic king, entering into Jerusalem as Jerusalem's king, riding on a donkey, and the crowd is going to shout, Mark 11:10, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Something is happening here. The son of David is entering Jerusalem as the king. And uh, there's a recognition that he is the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament was pointing forward to. Um, by the way, uh, we'll, I can't talk more about this right now because of our time, but I am going to talk more about this this Wednesday at a Bible study that I'm going to lead at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall. So if you'd like to hear more and go a little deeper and talk a little bit more about the significance of this, uh, come back this Wednesday at 6.30 and we'll dig into this a little bit further. Uh, another example of an Old Testament reference that I think we see fulfilled in our passage is Isaiah. There's several passages in Isaiah that talk about one day in the future when God's salvation will come, and when it comes, guess what one of the marks is of its coming? Blind people will be able to see. And now what's happening? Jesus is coming, entering into Jerusalem, David's son, and what's he doing? He's healing blind people so that they're seeing. What's happening? It's a fulfillment 
of the promises that have been made about God's coming King, God's coming Messiah. Next, we see Jesus' compassion in this passage. In verse 48, it says, Many people rebuked the blind man, telling him to be silent. So picture them saying, Hey, 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 keep it down. I have to say this a lot at our house. Hey, bring the volume down. <laughs> Shh, quiet. And the crowd, I, I could just picture them. Like this man's just yelling at the top of his lungs, trying to get Jesus' attention. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd's like, hey, and the disciples perhaps, hey, 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 bring it down. And uh, Jesus says, hey, tell that person who's calling me to come. And I can just picture the people around him having to eat a little crow. You know, they're like in the process of, hey, keep, what? Oh, never mind. All right, yeah, okay, yeah. As we were saying, Jesus wants to talk to you. So come on, we'll bring you to Jesus. He wants to talk to you, right? But notice Jesus... Everybody else's mentality toward this man is like, he's just the guy who sits there by the road begging the blind man. And they, they're like, you know, keep it quiet, brush him aside, keep it down, be silent. And this is the one man that Jesus stops for. I love that phrase. Three words, verse 49, and Jesus stopped. That's a great line. Jesus stopped. He's on mission for the most important mission in the world. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. He's on his way to provide salvation for the sins of the world. He's on the most important mission, and Jesus stopped. He took a break. He took a time out from this mission, going to the cross, in order to deal with the blind man that everybody's telling, hey, keep it down, be quiet. Right? You're kind of annoying. And Jesus stops for the one who's annoying. It's a great reminder to us. A couple of quick applications. First of all, I just want to remind you, Jesus will stop for you. Do you feel a little bit like you're at the back of the line? Do you feel a little bit like you're kind of being passed by? Do you feel a little bit like the people in the crowd are kind of always telling you, keep it quiet and quit being annoying? Are you sort of a back of the line kind of person? Jesus will stop for you. He stops for the one. He'll stop for you. But a second application here, uh, when's the last time you stopped for the one? See, I know, we're, I know we have so many important tasks that we're having to fulfill and accomplish, so many important things we have to do, but none of us has a task that's important as the task that Jesus was on. None of us is doing anything that's as important as what Jesus was doing, and yet Jesus stopped. And I think we have a lesson here for us. We should stop for the one. And sometimes we don't because it's so overwhelming. There's so many needs. There's so many people. Just look around. I read this past week where 155,473 people die every day without Christ. That's two people per second of every day are dying without Christ. That's overwhelming. That's almost paralyzing to hear that statistic. How, what difference could we possibly make? To read the headlines about what happened in Haiti with earthquakes and thousands of people dying, to read the headlines about what's happening in Afghanistan. It's, it's overwhelming, the amount of evil, the amount of death. Uh, and then when you have close friends, relatives, loved ones, it, it can almost be paralyzing to where you say, what good could I possibly do? And the answer is, you can be like Jesus and just stop for the one. Who's the one person God is placing in your life today, tomorrow, this week, perhaps a back-of-the-line kind of person, perhaps an annoying kind of person. Who's the one person you can stop for and show compassion to and minister to? Right. 
Fourth, I want you to notice that not only does Jesus have compassion on this man, Jesus is able to heal this man. He will heal him. He will open his eyes. This will be the final miracle, healing miracle in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, a lot of commentators point out this is the second of two healing miracles where Jesus restores sight to a blind man. And the two, the two accounts of the two healing miracles of blind people come sandwiching this section on discipleship. I can't get into it a lot right now, but once again, we'll get into it a little bit more this Wednesday. But I think the point is this. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? You've got to have your eyes opened. You've got to see who he is. You've got to see rightly who Jesus is. You've got to be able to say like the blind man in our story, I once was blind, but now I see. So are you like the blind man in the story? Do you have a right view, a right perception, a right understanding of who Jesus is? Secondly, we can learn from this blind man in that he, he has a decisive response to Jesus. He responds decisively to Jesus. First of all, we see this when he cries out in verse 47, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Look at verse 48. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. I, I picture this man yelling at the top of his lungs, Hey, Jesus, Son of David. And the crowd tells him to be silent, and I picture him getting silent for a split second. Like, he gets silent. Okay, I'll stop. And he kind of thinks about it for a second. Hmm. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not about to be silent. This is my one opportunity. Jesus is passing by. This is my one opportunity. I'm going to let him know I'm here. I, I, there's no shame with this man, right? Just, it says he shouted all the more. In other words, even louder, even with more gusto, right? He shouts all the more, hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's all out. We had a famous YouTuber at our church last weekend. And for those of you who are saying, what in the world is a YouTuber? I'll give you a brief uh, version, at least my understanding of it, is a person who makes videos and puts them online and people go watch them and they get subscribers and they get, have a bunch of people who follow them and like the videos. And somehow they make money as a result, I guess from ads or something like that. But this guy who came, he has 6.15 million subscribers. And one of those subscribers happens to be my son, who happens to be one of his biggest fans. And when my son found out he was going to be here, there wasn't much option of what we were doing last Saturday. We were going to be here. And uh, he came, I mean, we, and we got autographs, autographed shirts, uh, took pictures, talked to the guy. You know, I, it, if you've ever seen video of when the Beatles came to the States and the way people reacted, it was a similar kind of reaction. I mean, there were... It was all out, emotions and everything. And by the way, I asked him if I could share this story, and he said, absolutely. Like, no shame at all in, in, this, in the, the, the desire to just be around this YouTuber. And I think we have a similar, a similar thing happening here with Bartimaeus. There's no shame. Like, I will do anything I can to get an audience with Jesus. I don't care how much face I lose. I don't care. I just want to see Jesus. I just want to be in his presence. And I think we learned something from this. This is childlike faith that we talked about several weeks ago. A decisive response. Just give me Jesus. I don't care. You can have all the world. You can have anything you want. Just give me Jesus and I'll be happy. We learn from this man. 
Notice also how he responds when Jesus calls for him. And Jesus says, tell him to come here. Verse 51. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. He threw off his cloak. I don't know if he was wearing it. I don't know if he had it on his lap. But either way, he's like, I don't care if I ever see the cloak again. Or, you know, have the cloak again. Throws it aside. It says he sprang to his feet. The NIV says jumped to his feet. And he came to Jesus. Like, this was it. Priority one. I'm not doing anything else. I'm going to Jesus. And we learn, we learn from him here. If you have a right understanding of who Jesus is, guess what? You'll want to go to him. You will go to him. We can still go to Jesus today. He's not passing from Jericho to Jerusalem any longer, but he's alive. He's very much alive. And you and I can go to him. And my question for you this morning is this, have you? Have you gone to Jesus? And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just, I did that back when I was a kid. Going to Jesus is something we can do regularly and ought to do regularly. Go to Jesus. He will stop for you. All right? So here's my question for you. Are you struggling this morning? Are you a little bit down? Or do you feel like you're treading water? Do you feel like you're drowning a little bit and just trying to get air? Is life caving in the headlines of what's going on in the world? The, the personal news of what's happening? Friends and loved ones? Are, are you feeling down? Are you feeling depressed? Are you struggling? Are you having a hard time taking the next step? Here's my encouragement to you from God's Word. Go to Jesus. And find someone who will care. Find someone who will stop. Find someone who will show you compassion. The same way that he shows this man compassion. Go to Jesus with a decisive response. And this brings us to the third lesson we learned from this blind man. I want you to notice this man has authentic faith. Look at verse 51. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? By the way, that's the same question that Jesus asked the two disciples back in chapter 10, verse 36, James and John. Remember, they came to him and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, we want to sit at your right and left hand and call the shots. And Jesus says, you guys are clueless. You have no idea what you're asking for. And now Jesus says to this blind man, what do you want me to do for you? And I can picture Jesus sort of cutting his eyes over at James and John. Like, remember when I just asked you this question and you said you wanted to be in charge? Watch how the blind man answers the question, right? What do you want me to do for you? Verse 51, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Verse 52, and Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Notice that phrase, your faith has made you well. There was something about his faith that led Jesus to heal him. There was something about his faith that led Jesus to commend him. Your faith has made you well. What is it about his faith? First of all, I want you to notice his faith was in Jesus. His faith was in Jesus of Nazareth, son of David. That's what Christian faith is. Christian faith has an object. Our faith is in the person and the work of Jesus. Our faith is not general optimism. That's the way the world talks about faith. Like, everything's going to be okay. We're all going to be fine. It's all going to work out. This situation's going to get better. We're confident. You just got to have faith. That's worldly faith. That's not Christian faith. Christian faith has the object of Jesus. He's what we're putting our trust in. I remember Al Mohler making this comment 
and I heard it and it stuck with me. He said, uh, optimism is naive and pessimism is atheistic. So we are neither optimistic or pessimistic people. Optimistic people say, everything's going to be fine, it's going to be great. And you're looking at them going, I don't see that, right? That's naive to say everything's going to be great, it's all fine, no big deal. Just keep going, no big deal. That's naive, that's optimism, that's worldly optimism. That's not faith, right? Pessimism, everything's going to fall apart, it's going to be as bad as it could possibly be. That's atheistic. We're not people who are optimistic. We're not people who are pessimistic. We are people who have faith in Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm taking him at his word. He said he'll return for us. He said one day he will make all things right. I'm putting my faith in him. I'm trusting in him. That's what Christian faith looks like. That's the kind of faith this man has. Faith in Jesus. Notice also it's humble faith. He cries out twice. Once in verse 47, once in verse 48. Have mercy on me. Asking for mercy is asking to not get what you know you deserve. I know I don't deserve your favor. I know I don't deserve your goodness. I know I don't deserve you to do good for me, but I'm begging for it. I'm asking for it. I'm not standing here saying I deserve it. I'm standing here saying if I got what I deserved, it wouldn't be your goodness. And I realize that. I don't deserve your goodness, but I beg you for it. That's what Christian faith looks like. I, I come saying I don't deserve this at all, but would you please have grace and mercy on me? Christian faith is not hedging your bets. Many people say, well, I might as well believe it. You know, what do I have to lose? Like if it turns out to be true, I go to heaven. If it turns out to be false, I haven't really lost anything. Why not? I'll hedge my bets. I'll be a Christian. I'll trust this stuff. Why not? That's not Christian faith because that's not saying son of David, have mercy on me. I deserve death. Would you please not pass me by, but please stop and show favor to me. Christian faith is also not, you know, saying at some level I kind of deserve this. Like I'll put my faith in you, but then I'm going to follow you, and in following you, you kind of owe me. You know, like you, you, you owe goodness to me because I'm going to give myself to you. So if things don't go quite the way I want them to go, I'm going to get upset with you. Because you haven't given me what I, you know, I've worked hard for you. I've done all these things for you and you're not returning. That's not Christian faith. Christian faith is not, I'll do this for you as long as you do X, Y, and Z for me. Right? That's kind of the way the rich young ruler came to Jesus. He came to Jesus on his own terms. Like, can you help me out here? He didn't come saying, have mercy on me. He's like, I got my life pretty well put together. I got my wealth and I'm pretty happy, but I'm missing something. Can you help me out and just kind of push me over the edge? Maybe you can kind of fill up what I'm lacking. And Jesus says, no, you're not coming to me with humble faith. You're coming to me saying, can I just kind of help you out a little bit? I'm not here to help you out a little bit. If you want to come to me, you've got to come to me broken. Like the, the blind man. You've got to come to me saying, have mercy. I deserve none of it. But if you just have mercy on me, I'd be grateful. Right? See, it often happens when you're at the end of your rope. You, people often come to faith in Christ when they're at the end of their rope when they've lost a loved one, when they've lost a job, when life seems to be crumbling, that's when they tend to come to Christ. And so my encouragement to you this morning is don't wait until the tragedy hits. Go to Christ and he'll stop for you. And for those of you who say, I am at the end of my rope, don't waste it. Don't waste this opportunity. Let it drive you to Jesus and he'll have compassion on you. He'll stop for you. And even better, he's mighty to save 
He'll save you. I want you to notice this man doesn't merely have faith in Jesus. This man also follows Jesus. Look at verse 42. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Faith in Jesus and following Jesus are two sides of the same coin. The man follows Jesus because he has faith in Jesus. If he didn't really have faith in him, he wouldn't really follow him. And notice in verse 52, it says he followed him on the way. What does that mean? Followed him on the way. I think it means he followed him to Jerusalem. And he was there for the crucifixion. And he was there for the resurrection. I think it means he was there for the first church. He was a part of the first church. I think it means he was a part of the first missionary activity of going out and planting churches. I assume he was a part of of involved in, in planning the church that Mark is writing to because Mark mentions him by name. So I'm assuming the audience knows who he is. There's evidence. His faith leads to evidence. There's fruit. It's obvious. His faith is real because he followed. I don't think it's any coincidence. When you read Luke's account of this same story, Luke follows it up with the story of Zacchaeus. You know the story. At least you know the song, right? Jesus goes to his house. And listen to what it says. Luke 19, verses 8 and 9. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus' faith was proven to be true because he was willing to go right the wrongs he had done. He was willing to minister to the poor. And in response, Jesus said, Today salvation has come to your house because you've responded with authentic faith. See, Zacchaeus proved his faith was real by righting the wrongs he had done in his past. The blind man proved his faith was real because he got up and he followed Jesus on the way. The disciples proved their faith was real because they were willing to leave home, business, family to follow Jesus. They took up their cross and followed him. And my question for you this morning is this. What's the evidence you can point to in your life and say, here's the evidence, here's the fruit that I have faith in Jesus and I'm following Jesus. Yesterday, I, uh, I ran slash hiked, power hiked, uh, Pikes Peak Ascent. I finished. My goal was, I didn't quite meet my goal. I was five minutes over. But if you were to come up to me and say, Chris, so what was your time? And if I were to say, oh, I don't really remember. <laughs> And if you were to say, you know, where's the medal? Where's the shirt? Did you get a medal? Did you get a shirt? What does it look like? And if I were to say to you, oh, I forgot. I forgot to get those at the end. At some point you might say, I'm not sure he's telling the truth here. Like, is there any evidence that he did this? We've heard him talk about it. Is there any proof? Is there any evidence? And the, the reality is there is some evidence. You can go online and find it. You might have to scroll down a few pages. to see my name uh, crossing the finish line. I do have a, a shirt and a medal to prove it, maybe a couple pictures. But there is some proof I could point to if you wanted it. And say, here's the evidence that I'm not just telling you I did it. Here's the evidence that's sort of proof that I did it. And my question for you this morning is this. Is there anything in your life that you could point to this morning and say, here's the evidence, here's the proof that I'm trusting in Jesus and following Jesus? Not just that you can say it. Anybody can say it, Right? That, that, that doesn't take a lot to say it. I'm saying, is there some evidence, some hard evidence to say, here's the proof that I'm a follower of Jesus. And I think it's helpful to think in terms of two categories. There's sort of corporate evidence and individual evidence. 
corporate evidence is the kind of things we talked about last week, worshiping, connecting, serving, and impacting. This is the kind of evidence a person can point to on a corporate level and say, here's, here's proof that I'm following Christ. Look, I worship with God's people. Look, I'm connected to God's people. Look, I'm serving God's people. Look, I'm making an impact. Is there, is there corporate evidence you're following Jesus? But there also ought to be some individual evidence. Like you're growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Growing in Christ's likeness. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Growing in the spiritual disciplines. Reading God's Word. Praying. Um, sacrificing. Making personal sacrifices. Is there, is there any evidence you could point to and say, here's the proof that I'm a follower of Jesus. If not... Not all is lost for you. Just learn from the blind man. Come back to who Jesus is. Who is he? And call out to him. And if you'll call out to him, Jesus, have mercy on me. He will stop for you. And he will have mercy on you. But you have to go to him with a decisive response. You have to go to him with authentic faith. Faith that follows. Faith that proves itself. Faith that shows evidence that you can point to and say, here's the evidence. Call out to Jesus. And just like he stopped for this blind man, he will stop for you. Let me pray for us.